What's up everyone and welcome to episode 54 of the Justin Insight Podcast. As always, my name is Tim Backbeck. I'm a writer, I'm a lover of films, music and wrestling. But most importantly of all, I'm your body and vehicle through this podcast. Uh, right off the bat, I need to apologise for the sound of my voice, if it's a bit weird. Um, I wake up this morning feeling like I'd swallowed loads of razor blades uh, and just had a bit of a weird sort of tickly cough. Uh, but then I had to go to band practice because we're doing some recording this week, so I needed to smash through what we're recording. Obviously, putting more strain on my voice. Uh, and now I sound like this. So I'm going to try and keep this uh, intro as brief as possible, but kind of got a lot to, well, I say a lot, but stuff I kind of want to talk about. So apologies for my weird voice. Um, yeah, just want to give a quick rundown of what I've been up to this week. So uh, I mentioned, obviously, last week that I went to see uh, Jamie Lenman at uh, the Wedge Rooms. Um, and since then, including that show, I've been to five different events and haven't had to pay a single penny, which has been fucking rad. Um, so obviously that was on Sunday. Then on the Tuesday, uh, I went and saw Black Panther, which was absolutely awesome. Really enjoyed it. The imagery and the story of the whole film is really good. Obviously, the the prominence of it being a, an African superhero has been well documented. And, and so, rightly so, in my opinion. But um, I think the one thing that I took away with it is that Michael B. Jordan is my new crush. Like, he's, yeah, spectacle of a human being. Um, so yeah, go go check that out. It's a, like for as far as Marvel film goes, it's maybe not as action packed as uh, some of the others, but I don't think Black Panther necessarily needed to be. It was kind of setting up the character and and so on and so forth because we kind of got the action of Black Panther in um in the last uh in the Civil War film. Um, so yeah, after that, uh, Wednesday I went to Bristol to see Boris and A Munra, uh, who were. Both absolutely mind blowing, um, but Amonra were just so good. Literally, I could watch that band a hundred times over. They were that good. Um, yeah, just a really intense, uh, emotive band. If you're unaware of them, I recommend you go check them out. Uh, then Thursday uh, was the first wrestling show that I've been to of 2018, uh, which was the Revolution Pro Wrestling Show at the Pulse of Guild Hall. Uh, it was okay. Uh, the biggest takeaway from the show was that even in 2018 we still get dickheads at shows that are degrading women's wrestling which was really pathetic if I'm honest but apart from that the the standard of wrestling as always was really cool uh got to see El Fantasmo I think I'm saying that wrong for the first time was very impressed um Pete Dunne, Tyler Bate, Trent Seven, Mark Davis all rad as always, Speedball Mike Bailey so yeah um I'm I'm trying to kind of take a back seat of going to as many right uh as many live wrestling events this year. But that being said, I'm going to progress this Sunday. Um just because I I, I kind of fell out of of the loving uh, fell out of live wrestling, sorry. Um a little bit just because I don't know if if you've ever been to them like sometimes like there's this kind of preconception of it's all inclusive, but I go to these things on my own and like sometimes you just feel really ostracized um maybe that's just me being an introvert i don't know but that's just the way i kind of got it and like this is all the little clicks and everything so i just kind of want i thought i enjoy wrestling from afar i can watch it at home that's my kind of attitude towards it at the moment so yeah trying to kind of not to go as many live shows at the moment but that that could change 
Um, and then to round off my week, uh, when I saw Paradise Lost at the Wedge of Dreams, it was all right. Not they're not my my particular cup of tea, but I was re- reviewing it for for Vulture Hound, so that review will be up on VultureHound.com very soon. Um, right now that we're all caught up. Uh, let's go into this week's guest, and I've already mentioned him once. It's Mr. Jamie Lenman. Um, I had the opportunity to catch up with Jamie briefly before his show at the Wedge of Dreams. Uh, we obviously talked about Ruben. We talked about his start in music, uh, how he kind of got into sort of the the type of music that he plays, um, but but also the fact that he doesn't really see himself as a musician. Like his his bread and butter is being an an illustrator. So yeah, got got in to talk about that. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get as long as I would have liked with Jamie though. Um, had to get off cut off short because the the first band was playing. Um, and we were literally in a room right next to the stage, so you wouldn't be able to sit here, sort of see. Um, but yeah, but hopefully, some da- some point down the line, might be able to get Jamie on for a part two. Fingers crossed, because he's a really cool guy to to talk to. And obviously, we we only had a brief chat, but there's there seems to be a lot of stories in there. So hopefully, I'll get an opportunity to go go dig a little bit further. But um, yeah, for now, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Jamie Lenman, and I'll see you on the other side. I'll try and whiz, whiz through as, as quickly as I can. So, um, I'll, I'll just go straight into it. So, sure. I was sat in the Wedge of Dreams uh, with Janie, J- Janie? Apologies. Janie, that's all right. <laughs> Jamie Lenman, um, currently on the Devolver tour. How's the tour been in general? Any highlights so far? Uh, they just keep getting better and better. Yeah? Yeah. Um, that's uh, that's all I can say. Every night I think, well, this is the best one on the tour. And then the next night I think, oh, this is the best one on yeah, the tour. Yeah, yeah. And that's really a mark of a good tour, really. So, um, I mean, I was very, even though it was probably the least um, well attended, the first one in Newcastle was fantastic because, you know, um, I haven't been there for about 10 years. Mm. And, I mean, what the fuck is that? What could they possibly <laughs> be doing? Hitting each other with salmon <laughs> next door. Um, it was great to see that many people come. I'd, I'd never been there as a solo act, and I yeah. hadn't been there since we were in Reuben maybe 10, 12 years. So the fact that so many people did turn up, you know, the room was by no means full, but it was still busy and everyone's having a great time. That was a real highlight for me. And that was the same on the previous tour as well. We went to Cardiff, where I hadn't been for even longer and never as a solo act. And again, you know, it was like modestly attended, but the vibe was fantastic, you know. Because well, so, I was I was talking to Jerry before I came in. I was trying to figure out when was the last time you were here in Portsmouth. In Portsmouth, yeah, good point. But <laughs> did we do the on the Muscle Memory tour? I'm not sure we did. So probably about that long. Yeah. Jesus. So yeah, I haven't been here since we were here with Ruben either. So I don't know who is going <laughs> to come tonight. I never take it for granted, you know, attendance. So, uh, I mean, whoever comes, we're going to have a fucking fantastic show. And like I say, some of them shows where it's only like, you know, maybe half the venue or just a handful of people, some, they can be the best. And even if only like 10 people turn up, those 10 people are going to have the cracking time. Yeah. Well, my show is called uh, Just an Insight. So what I like to do is take my guests kind of 
almost back to their their origins to to an extent and kind of right. <laughs> wide eyes open mm. um but just kind of get a, a kind of background to, to what kind of makes them them sort of thing so kind of what got you into alternative music in the first place jamie Alternative music. Well, I mean, I'm not sure you can really call the Beatles alternative music. Although <laughs> yeah, they, they were sort for of the were. time. Yeah. Well, they started off very pop and mainstream, didn't they? And then they twisted it. Um, and then they're R and B, you know. Um, <laughs> and then like Queen, a Queen alternative again. These are big charting bands. So the first band that I heard that weren't necessarily in the charts. You can't even really count Nirvana because obviously they had a big number yeah, seven yeah. hit. It was probably. It was probably. It's probably. Cold Chamber. Okay. Who were on a Guitar Mag CD. I was learning guitar because I wanted to be like Brian May. Right. Some hope. And my guitar teacher lent me one of his, um, learned to play Guitar Mags, had a few scales in it, you know, like these great mags do, and had a cover CD with like, learn to play Gary Moore, Still Got the Blues, <laughs> yeah. Parisian Walkways, which I can still do a bit of. Um, but on that CD, it had a track from Cold Chamber who were like really heavy yeah yeah and I just loved it I just really got it that was the first band that I heard that existed outside of the charts you know they, you know, even Green Day had, yeah, had been yeah. in the charts in Basket Case whatever so that was the first and it was off that guitar magazine CD and I listened to just that one track round and round I had to give it back to my guitar teacher <laughs> but uh, yeah and also also he had put on a tape for me a couple of tracks off Kill Em All Metallica's oh, okay. first record again to study technique and Kirk Hammett's fantastic playing and um, Mate You on the Bass had a couple of nice bass solos on his first Metallica records. So I had a little tape of like four Metallica songs that again, I loved. You know, he'd take them just so I could learn them. Yeah. But they were like my, always in my boombox. So it's probably his fault, my guitar teacher. Maybe, maybe a couple of, I got into heavy stuff that you wouldn't, you had to look for instead yeah, of being yeah. on top of the pops. Yeah. And because obviously I think a lot of people, they kind of hear the music first and then that's where they, they're journey into it. Is, but obviously yours was kind of you're already learning guitar so what kind of what drew you to the guitar in the first place was it sort of listening to bands like the Beatles and Queen that you want to kind of emulate them to an extent sort of it was it was I think it was more that uh, my mum had a big old Spanish uh, nylon string guitar that just lay around the house and I was always picking it up and plunking it and whatnot and my, my family were quite musical uh, on my mother's side everyone played an instrument my big cousin Matthew played the drums and um, we were encouraged to learn the piano when we were small because I think, as my parents quite rightly recognised, I think learning the piano, or at least an instrument, is as valuable as a life skill as fucking mathematics. Yeah. You know, to really become a, a rounded person and, and as a fantastic avenue for um, creative output and outlet. I think, it's, I think it should be taught as mandatory part of school along with science and history and the rest of it. Some kind of instrument mm. so we I, you know we i was playing piano before i really cared about music and i thought it was a bit pointless and it was, it's difficult <laughs> piano but i soldiered on and um, but i was always playing around on stuff and but then it was only really when i got uh this bootleg tape of um queen greatest hits after bohemian rhapsody had come out with okay. the wayne's world i got queen greatest hits <laughs> yeah. one which uh, bohemian rhapsody was on it and i just loved it you you can't not fall in love with writing as good as Queen and it sounds so good and all their performances you know I'm often saying that I'm not really interested in virtuosos I prefer my music a bit scrappy yeah but I make an exception for Queen even <laughs> yeah. even the Beatles are scrappy but Queen's studio recordings are spotless yeah and sometimes it is nice to luxuriate in <laughs> the pure craftsmanship you know there's not a false note in any of them records 
And uh, so I really, I fell in love effortlessly with Queen. And that was when I decided, right, I'm going to start playing this guitar. Yeah. And I discovered it was a long road to uh, Brian May Castle. <laughs> and I'm still stuck at the bottom of that windy path. But uh, that's when I started thinking I wanted to do it, yeah. And so, obviously, a lot of people will know you for, from your Reuben days. But yeah. what were there kind of bands prior to that that you were sort of kind of honing your craft before getting into to hitting the road with Reuben? Was there anything of note that you can remember that, that you were sort of like, oh, maybe if if I'd kind of revisited that to an extent. They were all, every band I was in was a version of Reuben, was a, right, okay. was a precursor of Reuben. I, I mean, apart from when I was very young, I was in a band when I was about nine. Oh, wow. Um, with a kid from my school, who's the only other kid that I knew that liked rock and roll, because uh, it wasn't very, you know, big in the early 90s. Wasn't, yeah. Kids didn't listen to rock and roll, obviously. A geezer called Chris Hawes, who had an electric guitar. He had great, he had two older brothers. They both had electric guitars. It was like three Billy Goats gruff. Yeah. There was the big lad who had the cool electric guitar, <laughs> black one. There was his middle brother who had like a blaze of glory painted on it, a plane going down. <laughs> nice. It was fucking brilliant. And there was Chris, the little one, and they all had an electric guitar and they were all brilliant boys. And Chris was my mate, and our first band was called Sheer Power. Brilliant. And the, the lineup awesome was, was him on uh, guitar and me on vocals, and we did two songs. We did Every Little Thing About You by um, uh, Who's That Band? Uh, Ugly Kid Joe. Yeah. And we did Bo Rap. Brilliant. Brilliant. And that was just great. And then after that, I was in a little band with my only mate at school. I only had one mate at a time because only one person could tolerate me. <laughs> um, I can't remember his name. I loved him so much. Another fella called Chris. He was a great lad. He played clarinet and I got an electric guitar by this point. So the lineup of AstroTurf, which is what we were called, awesome. was electric guitar and clarinet. And we had... I'd love to see that. It was pretty good, man. <laughs> those And those were the, and after that, I met John Pierce, who had... These trousers are already bobbling. I've, they're new this week and they're bobbling. Oh, dear. Sorry. <laughs> after that, I started going for guitar lessons with my guitar teacher, Julian Head. And he introduced me to John Pierce because I was like, I want to be in a real band, yeah, a real yeah. bass player. <laughs> he's like, well, talk to this guy, John Pierce. He's at your school and I teach him bass. So from that point, from when I met John, who was in Reuben, every other band, even though they had different lineups, different drummers, keyboard players, whatever, and they were called different things and we played different songs and none of it carried on. I think because from the point I met John, we sort of agreed on a few core basic mm. things that we wanted to be like. We both love Nirvana. This is about when I was about 12, 13, I met John, maybe even earlier. But by that point, I decided that I want to be basically like Nirvana. That's what we agreed on. And Deftones and Korn, we loved all that. And so from that point, every other band was an early version of what would become Ruben. Yeah. Right through to when we got Mark on drums, who played on, on our first EP. And before that, we had Jason Wilcox. He went. He recorded. He produced Race Cars, Race Car Backwards. He'd been our drummer before we'd met Mark. That was when we became a three-piece, and mm. then eventually, we got Guy, mm. and that when the lineup stabilised. But basically, after AstroTurf with the lineup of electric guitar yeah. and clarinet, from then on, when it, I'd, it once I'd met John, it was what would become Ruben. Yeah. And I, I think I was trying to think about this on my way down here, but I think the first time I saw you guys was maybe when I was. 15, 16 sort of thing and obviously around that time there was obviously you guys uh, 100 Reasons Hell is for Heroes yeah. there was a real sort of buzz in that kind of UK alternative punk sort of scene so kind of talk me through what that what that was like to be part of and because I think like it's 
I, I mean this in a in a in a respectful way, but Ruben. How dare you? Out of all of those bands, Ruben are kind of the one that still have this massive cult synonymous. I feel like Hellas for Heroes and yourself are the two that I feel that people still revisit to this day. So Hellas for Heroes and Ruben. Yes. Yeah. You think? Okay. So how was it to be part of that kind of early noughties sort of sort of scene, so to say? Well, that's a question that I'm eager to answer because I've thought a lot about this, mate, and um, not many people ask me it, so you're going to get an in-depth thing no, here. No, I like in-depth. It's, it's funny because when I was in that scene, I didn't know I was in it. Right, okay. And at the time, and now I realise this is obvious because, of course, <laughs> you can't see it when you're in it, of right? Of course, yeah. At the time, I was a bit grumpy about it and I thought, Where's my fucking scene? Because <laughs> because I would look at things like the punk scene of the right. late 70s that then turned into the um, two-tone ska, yeah. second wave ska, you know, and, and then I would look obviously at the grunge wave in, in, in the 90s and there was easily identifiable through history of rock and roll, there's been easily identifiable waves yeah, of yeah. fashions and scenes and I these are romanticised and sometimes, you know, they've done stuff like the grunge scene had the year that punk broke, which they knew at the time that it was a scene. And Two Tone did Two Tone tours and they did um, Dance Craze, which is a movie all about the Two Tone band. So they were aware at the time they were a scene, I'm fairly sure. Mm. But, but in the early noughties, when we were touring with these fantastic bands, I was thinking, where's my fucking scene then? <laughs> you know, and I didn't realise that, shit, this is yeah, yeah. the scene. A Million Dead and Codename and those bands were part of it and Ocean Size were those great bands and so I didn't know at the time but now when I look back I think oh fuck that there was a scene and I'm very proud to have been part of it and Biffy were there as well um, and I, th I really like what that scene stood for mm. which was sort of trying to make certainly towards your Million Deads, your Ocean Size and your Milos they were very interested in making intelligent, innovative rock music um, towards the 100 Reasons Hell is for Heroes side of things. They were, I think they weren't so interested in pushing boundaries as just concentrating on song craftsmanship and big old riffs, which you can't argue with. And we sat somewhere sort of in the middle. We had aspirations to be an intelligent, innovative uh, band, but we weren't quite clever enough <laughs> and so when we fell in that area we had the big old riff so we sat sort of in between yeah. so we might get a little bit out of our depth when we were hanging out with like Biffy and Ocean Size <laughs> who would say oh we've got a song in 11.9 and Biffy would be like oh great great can't wait to hear it and we'd be like hello you know <laughs> and uh, so we fell sort of between two stools but so I think there's two distinct sides to that yeah. scene you've got Hellas for Heroes and 100 Reasons and Vex Red and Ingerica, who people sometimes forget about, but I never will, on that side of the like, they're just meat and potatoes, rock and roll, they're more about songs. Yeah. And then you've got the people trying to do interesting things and trying to push into new areas like Milo and Million Dead yeah. and Ocean Size, um, who were a bit more technical. Uh, so I think you've got to remember that there was two halves of it and we sat sort of right in the middle. And it was beautiful, it was beautiful. And we did have fun. Uh, but it's only when you look back you realise, oh fuck, there was a scene yeah. and I was part of it. And I'm really happy that two have been part of a scene. And does it, obviously I know I'm talking to you about it now, but does it kind of, is it weird for you that people s still hold Ruben so close to their hearts? No, not at all. No, 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 not at all. Because 
And I don't say this with arrogance, and it's nice that you're recording this so people can hear the way in which I say it, because I've been quoted on this before, and I come off like a real cunt. <laughs> but when people say, are you surprised that people still like Ruben? I can't, it, it's impossible for me to be surprised, because yeah. I wanted people to be, right? Yeah, of course. I, I planned it that way. I We wanted to get into people's hearts and under their skin. And although I'm happy and mm. humbled and you know incredibly pleased that we have that that music holds the place in people's hearts it is what i was aiming for yeah so you can't be surprised if you are aiming for a bullseye and you get it <laughs> yeah. you know equally you can't be surprised if you miss it you yeah, know yeah. but you can be happy and pleased which yeah. is what i am so no at no point is it weird or confusing because that's what i wanted yeah. so if we achieved it even a little bit i'm over the moon but that that was the plan mm. yeah and and obviously between sort of when Ruben ended and you kind of doing uh, Muscle Memory, how was there kind of, I don't know, like, because for, I, I'm just assuming this, but for a musician, there's obviously going to always be that kind of itch to perform. So mm. was it for you, was there a case of, because I know there was a break in between, but was it a case of, right, I need to take time before I kind of do that? Or was it just instantly, I, I need to kind of move on to the next project, so to say? No, I'm, I'm not going anywhere, I just get a bit cold. Um, no, it's <laughs> No, it, it's quite the opposite. I um, I lost the itch to perform okay. entirely. The last few years of Ruben really bashed it out of me. I didn't want to play music at all. I didn't want to go anywhere near um, a guitar or an instrument. And for certainly, for the first year after Ruben split up, I just didn't want to play music at all. And that's, mm. that was why Ruben split up. I didn't, just didn't want to play music. Um, and um, well, it's lots of reasons, but you know that was the b most pressing one. Yeah. Um, because people were trying to book us for tours, and I was like, no, no, not doing it. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no. I had a bit of a breakdown, and um, and then even when I started playing music again, I slowly came around to the idea of at least playing it in a friendly. Um, not the room was unfriendly, but mm. it, you know it could be like any band in a very safe environment, just with Daniel, my friend, who's now the only one in my band. It yeah. started with just him saying let's just knock about some songs and, mm. and have music just for fun instead of a bit of a job. Even then, I didn't want to perform it. And even when my album came out, Muscle Memory, which I just did for myself, really, even then I didn't want to perform it. Yeah. But because we'd put it out on a label... There's that kind of push to, to do it sort of thing. Yeah, I think you owe a label a responsibility if they've invested yeah. their time and, and, and budget, let's be frank, into putting out your record. You owe them to go on the road and at least try and make people aware of mm. it and then you know the more I did it the more comfy I felt with it and until I get to the point where I sort of almost look forward to it now yeah. You know? um, so yeah so no I don't even now I don't really have the itch to perform I well I do like by the time I've seen the support s I'll be I'll be raring yeah, for my yeah. shot but if someone said to you Lemon what do you want to do today the answer play a show is quite low down in my do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. I'd rather say play with my Ghostbusters action figures <laughs> you know watch telly do you know what I mean I what I have if I have the itch to do anything is to create music yeah and then when I've created it yeah it's quite nice to play it to people and you know again I knew saying that I only taught muscle memory for the label I knew that people would like to come and see it and I like for there to be good rock shows and I like for there to be good rock music in the world and if sometimes you've got to try and put a you've got to put your money where your mouth is if you want to contribute you do feel like you want to contribute 
So I want to say, look, here's a, a good, honest rock album and come and see a good rock show. I'm fairly sure mm. if you buy this ticket, you'll have a good time. Yeah. So, yeah. Before I kind of dive sort of deeper into the, your sort of solo stuff, the, the other thing that people may know you for is obviously your sort of illustrations work and things like that. Yeah. So obviously I always kind of like to find sort of the two two sides of the coin to a person. So what what kind of drew you to, to that? Because obviously you're very a very creative person anyway. Right. So have you always kind of sort of done doodles, drawn and things like that? Or is All, it just... Always, yeah. I mean, even before I was messing about on the guitar, really. It, that's the thing is that it's, this isn't really who I am <laughs> is it is it I don't know it was for a long long time but I I was drawing before I was in bands yeah and even whilst I was still in that band I did a lot of drawing work and then when I stopped being in the band it was all I did and so whereas music has sort of gone in and out of my life illustration has always been there so I see myself primarily as a, as a visual artist as an mm. illustrator and a designer and an animator even though music comes to me a little bit easier, I've just I've spent more time I think on the whole with a pen and paper than with a guitar. Um, so yeah, it was it's really it's um, drawing first, illustration first. I sort of think of myself as a, as an illustrator more than a musician. Yeah, yeah. And if we get into obviously the tour you're doing now, Devolver obviously came out sort of tail end of of last year. Yeah. And even with muscle memory, obviously the, there's a lot of kind of well, you're on the cover art of both albums, sort of thing. So, was there kind mm. of a, was that a conscious choice to say, right, Ruben's done. This is now Jamie Lenman. Like, take it or leave it, kind of thing. Not really. I mean, I've never really, um, uh, I've never been too keen to like draw a big, thick line between Ruben and Jamie Lenman. Yeah. As like projects, and they're not projects, are they? Like, Ruben wasn't a project. It was my whole life for yeah. ten years. And Jamie Lemon is me, so they're not <laughs> yeah. projects, you know. So, um, but it, it was, as musical entities, if you want, or as a group of albums, or whatever, I think there's a very clear um, connection. And so, no, I'm not interested. I'm I'm pleased that you know people don't have to put Ruben in brackets after my name on posters so yeah. much these days. And I, I like to have a name for myself outside of that band. But I don't want to forget them and I had yeah. a great time and I'm happy that people still listen to them and connect me with them. And please do, because they're good records. Yeah. I like them, yeah. Perfect. Well, as the first band's starting, I'll round it off. So how I like to finish these is kind of ask the artists I'm talking to what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So what is the favourite Jamie Lemon song that you've written that you like to play live and why? At the moment... It is my newest song, a song called Bad Friend, which isn't on any records, oh, but okay. I wrote it last month and I just really liked it and I wanted to play it. And so we've been <laughs> playing it and make of it what you will that at the moment, yeah. Perfect, Jamie, thank you very much for your time. Really You're appreciate welcome. it. Thanks, So there we have it, folks. Thanks again to Jamie for giving me some of his time. Really appreciate it. Um, as I say, wish I had a little bit longer, but who knows, might get a, a more in-depth interview with him next time. Fingers crossed, as I said. Um, as always, you can keep up to date with what Jamie's doing on all, all various social media platforms. Uh, on Facebook, is facebook.com forward slash Jamie Lenman. 
Um, and then on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Jamie Lenman. Um, I'm going to keep this very brief because my throat is starting to kill me and I need to edit and I want to go to bed. Um, but next week, we're back in the world of WWE once more. So uh, we will have one of our wrestling roundtables. Uh, but for now, thank you again for joining me on the Justin Insight podcast. And I'll see you soon. <laughs>